0: Well, we're approaching the end of the book of Acts. Today, we're in the last chapter, but not the last sermon. Now, Paul, as you know, just reviewing, and again, we've, we're tracking with the story, but Paul is on his way to Rome, uh, willingly and yet unwillingly at the same time. And, and Had he written it, this probably would not be the way he would have chosen to get there. Uh, he may just have chosen to, to sail his way there and and spend time along the way, Uh, doing ministry, get out to Rome, spend a long time there, however long, and then from there out to the furthest reaches of the known world, at least to the west, in those parts of the Roman Empire. But that's not the way the Lord had for him. And again, we've kind of been reminding ourselves that uh, this is the way the Lord works. It doesn't always... Uh, uh, move in straight paths when it comes to his providence for us the Lord has a direct path he's going to take Paul and it's a kind of a roundabout crooked way he's going to get him directly there put it that way Uh, Paul is going to be taken to Rome and we've seen Paul's confidence and his confidence will abide even in this text that we have this morning what we thought about last week you'll remember is that Paul was on this ship journey now But even he, by his own wisdom, said, I don't think this is a good idea. Now, again, we've got the prisoner telling the guards and and the Romans that this may not be the wisest idea to travel, being that the weather is turning. We're on the other side of the Day of Atonement, and that means that we're going to start coming into uh, colder weather, and that means the winds are going to turn and things aren't going to go well. Paul anticipated that last week. But they did not heed Paul's words and sailed out and tried to stretch it a little further to get to a port where they could put in for the winter. But Paul's wisdom at that point uh, uh, was, was manifested. It was proven to be correct. And again, that, we don't know that that was any deep revelation. It was just Paul's wisdom as a traveler, and he said, guys, this isn't going to be good. And it's shown to be correct. Well, then Paul does get a revelation. As things start to fall apart, and, and things remember, they're throwing everything overboard. They're throwing their tackle overboard. They're throwing their cargo overboard. Uh, Paul does get a revelation from God in which he is told that everyone on the ship is going to make it. And when Paul then speaks those words, he's listened to this time. Uh, remember, the, the uh, Julius, the Roman centurion, kind of likes Paul, and now Paul's wisdom has been uh, uh, recognized to have been valid And now when he comes with a revelation They listen and you'll remember Because they try to lower the you know—the couple guys Try to lower themselves overboard and get out on the skiff and, and when Paul says If that happens the prophecy Will not be fulfilled That is we will not make it And the Roman centurions Listen to Paul and say Get those guys back up in this boat We're not messing around And they cut the boat loose so that no one can have it and they abide by Paul's words. And they do make it. They do make it. And the skies begin to lift in these several days of very stormy, scary weather that's breaking the ship up uh, uh, calms down, and they look, and they stumble on land. They can see land, which proves to be Malta. And, oh, this is great. This is good news. There's land. They must be so anxious just to get to some land, and so they start to make their way to Malta, maybe to a, a, a sandy shore or a good harbor. But unfortunately, again, in the providence of God, his twists and his turns, rather than letting them just get there, oh, they've come through the storm. It's, it's almost like now you could read God's providence. We went through those hard times, now to come into the good times, uh, we see what the Lord is doing here now. And as they're just having those thoughts, you know, they crash into a reef and there they are a little bit away from land now shipwrecked onto this reef and because of the, the surf that's crashing into the boat the boat is splintering into pieces and they decide hey let's throw the prisoners overboard and kill them uh, because you know they're going to escape but because of Julius's love for Paul his concern for Paul they don't do this and just say everybody get to land however you can and they're it's so bad that they're literally floating floating on 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 particles of the of the boat, you know, planks and so forth, and they make their way to land. Now that's where we left off last week. Okay. And and just when again and the the point that I want to 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 think about at least to highlight here is that it looks like you're there and yet there's so much more trouble to come. Well, now in our text and we're just looking at verses 1 through 10, That same pattern continues because we get on land. Now we've got natives to worry about. What is this island we're on? Islanders don't usually like strangers coming stumbling into their island. Islanders have a nature of being protective about their island, right? There's a certain identity about islanders because it's their little corner of the world. Literally, they are cut off. And so here now comes this boat. And remember, it's 200 and something people that come you know, crawling up onto shore and gasping and, and choking on, on the water and, and making their way up onto land. And so now you've got that concern about. What are we going to do with the natives? But, like the storm lifting and the, ah, there's land, the clouds lift here too because the natives come out to greet them and they greet them with kindness. In verse 2, and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. Oh, that's, not, that's nice. So we get shipwrecked on an island. Who knows what we could be up against? But these natives of this island come and they greet them and they receive them. And the word natives there is the word barbarian, barbaroi. Uh, so they, they did not have a lot of confidence in these natives that they were going to welcome them. Right? These were barbarians. It's kind of what all the, the, the Greeks and Romans referred to as those who didn't speak their native language. They were all, barbarian. <laughs> they were all barbarians. Um, so we don't know if these guys were really savages, but they're, they're, they're referred to as barbaroi. And they show them unusual kindness, and they kindle a fire. And once again, you're thinking, okay, hey, if we're going to be shipwrecked on an island, this is pretty great. You're on an island where the people welcome you. They're going to help you you know, maybe make it through the, the this winter time and, and provide for you. So this is a good thing. So again, clouds lifted, music, background music turns. It's no longer scary and daunting. Now it's nice background music and everything. But then, verse 3, we got Paul who's feeling pretty good. He decides to pitch in, go grab a bundle of wood for the fire. <laughs> and he, he, he gets the wood and he brings it over to, to put on the fire. But the warmth of the fire awakens a snake. That happens to be hiding in the wood. And the snake comes out and bites Paul in the hand. And he pulls his hand out and the snake is hanging, this viper is hanging from his hand. And of course, everyone notices this. I'm sure Paul is, ah, <laughs> he's, he's, ah you know, and, he, and we're told he, he shakes it off. And it goes down into the fire. We, I, I assume it's destroyed. Either that or the thing you know, scurries from the, from the flames. But oh, great. Right now, you're, you're, you're on land. We made it through that disaster. You get here, everything seems relatively calm. These natives, they're wonderful. This is terrific. We've got a nice fire going because it's kind of cold and rainy, but this is great. And then just as things are going well, you get bit by a poisonous snake. I mean this I don't know it's the, the lord is uh, who can predict this stuff and everybody of course is shocked and they think well that's the end of Paul and they even say to him uh, they say oh the natives then they immediately are able to read the tea leaves and they say oh he must be a murderer and he was fleeing from justice but the god the god of justice has found him he survived the shipwreck but the snake got him, and that's the end of him. So they go, well, that, that makes sense to them. They're able to, they're able to, they're, they're able to read. The, they can discern exactly what's going on here. But then, as they wait for Paul to swell up and die, nothing happens to him. And Paul apparently he doesn't. Paul just keeps going with his thing. He doesn't seem too bothered by it. And then, when they see nothing happens to him, they're in, they're completely shocked by this. So they say, "Wow." Not only is he not a murderer, he's a god. So they, they really swing, these natives. They really go from, <laughs> they're really, they might, you know, you might wonder, are you sure you're reading it right? You were pretty wrong on that one, so at least you, you're, you know, but they swing over. Now they know he's a god. And so they're, they're blown away by the fact that he's a god because he's completely unaffected by something that we've, they've probably seen kill other people on this island, but Paul is unaffected. Then they lead him to this Publius's house, sort of the one of the leaders on the island, and when Paul is taken there, he's received, treated very kindly uh, for these three days, and then the father of Publius uh, is sick, and Paul goes and prays and heals him. And then when they hear that, again, this just confirms the godlikeness of Paul, when they hear that, they start other people start coming to him, and he is healing them. And then, in, after some time, they will depart. In fact, in the first verse of next week's text, our last sermon on Acts, after three months, we sailed away. So they're gonna they're gonna hang out there for three months. But things go pretty well because they are treated kindly in the beginning. And then, in the end, verse ten, they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So these guys are providing for them when they arrive they're taking care of them while they stay and then as they leave they're giving them what they need for a safe journey these guys you couldn't you could not find a better group of barbarians than than these guys a little little disoriented when it comes to reading God's providence but besides that they really do seem like like a great group so this is the story of Paul again the, he's gonna make it to Rome and perhaps that's why Paul is so confident when he's bitten by the snake we definitely, at least according to Luke it is nice to have a physician there but according to Luke we don't get any panic on Paul's side of this thing Paul just keeps on going he shakes the snake off and just keeps on rolling and makes his way over to Publius's house um, and so that's why I titled the sermon Undistracted Ministry <laughs> Paul has had so many distractions. I mean, think, I mean, I would only need one of these, most likely. One of these distractions, okay, from having 40 assassins trying to kill me or trying to deal with the felixes and festuses of the world or, you know, getting moved around and being shipwrecked or, you know, being bitten by a snake. You know, enough is enough. It's like, how do you, how do you focus? And yet, the Apostle Paul... Is undistracted. There's a real metaphor there. I mean, it's, it's a live thing, but he, he shakes the snake off and just keeps going. Like, he literally shakes it off. He literally shakes off the distraction and keeps on moving. Paul is undistracted. And we've commented on the fact that Paul very much is like Jesus. And that the ministry of Jesus is manifested in the ministry of Paul. And our, our uh, word of exhortation today was from Matthew 4 where again we have the resonances of the story that's in front of us today right Jesus what is satan doing in the temptation in the wilderness what is his goal his goal is to derail Jesus from his ministry satan is trying to derail Jesus from his ministry right he presents him with these temptations first the temptation to turn the the bread into uh, the uh, stones into bread it's not a sin for Jesus to do a miracle like that. But that, that, it's not like he, he was getting them to manifest his power. or you know, What was the temptation? Well, the temptation was to give up suffering. I choose a different way. By, by just the snap of your fingers, by, by the demonstration of your power and the suffering. Why continue to suffer? Why continue to fast? You could take a stone and make it into bread. But Jesus had come to suffer. Jesus' whole ministry was about suffering for the sake of his church, and Satan tempts him, seeks to distract him away from that, to get him again by the use of his power to be distracted from the cause that he had come to do. Or again, the second temptation, as we thought about even reading Psalm ninety-one for our Old Testament reading today. Well, what's the what's the temptation here? The temptation is in the midst of the chaos which is going to come as he makes his way closer to the cross to seek right now certainty when the Father calls him to trust him. Satan distracts him and wants to distract him from the faith that the Father calls him to have. Distract him from the trust that he needs to have in his Father. Because he is going to go into the ultimate trust fall. He's going to go into the ultimate surrender when he says on the cross, Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit. Complete surrender. He has no choice. He's dying but he's surrendering himself to the Father. I mean, this is Jesus. He's God. And Satan says to him again and again and again in this, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Chosen One, if you're the Messiah, and if you're the capital S Son of God, If you are who you think you are, do this. Do that. When he's going to the cross, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross. What are you thinking? Entrusting yourself. Surrendering yourself this way. Satan seeks to distract him from the calling that he has. Or even in the final temptation. All these things I will give to you, Satan says satan has this delegated power over the nations because of the sin of man that when when adam sins the father essentially turns the nations over to satan satan has no claim on them but things have been turned over to the chaotic rule of the evil one and jesus comes to reclaim the nations But to reclaim them, we know he must die. To reclaim them, he must pay for the sins of the nations so that he can have, as he says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth now given to him. But Satan comes to distract him. Look, do this simple act. And I'll give them, I'll just simply turn the keys over to you. I'm willing to just let them go if you will do this simple act. He offers him the easy way. He offered, he's, he's essentially tempting him with the crown apart from the cross. You don't need to go through the cross to get to the crown. I'll just give you the crown. If you'll do this one act, here's an easy way out. But Jesus will not be distracted. Like we're told later in the Gospels, he sets his face like a flint to Jerusalem. Knowing he's going to the cross, he sets himself there. I'm not budging. I'm going. So also in the wilderness, Jesus, undistracted, sets his face like a flint toward the obedience that the Father demands of him. And we see that undistracted obedience in the Apostle Paul. And it's a real model for us. Now, as I've already said to you in the assurance of pardon this morning, I don't set these things before you as an example, again, in somehow that you know, our salvation demands upon our undistractability. We are called to be undistracted. We are called to follow the example of Paul, who's following the example of Jesus. But our salvation depends upon the fact that Jesus was undistracted and that Jesus was undistractable. So I want to be careful because I don't want to, make, I don't want to turn this story into a moralistic sermon. Where again, the whole lesson is just be more like Paul. And yet, there is a model for us there. Paul has been undistracted this whole time. We've said this. From the time when the mobs first come against him, and he's taken into the, 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 the garrison, and we'd be panting and wondering, how the heck can we get out of here? And Paul actually says to the, to the Romans, look, I'd like to go address the crowd. Paul's like, look, I got a gathering. I'm not messing this up for the gospel's sake. I got a crowd gathered out there. This is a great opportunity. (laughs) Paul wants to get out into the crowd. Several times he will make his way to the crowd. Paul was told in his calling that he he will speak before princes and governors and kings and think about whom Paul has had the privilege and opportunity to share the gospel with. And I think this is not lost on Paul. That he's speaking before the high priests back in Jerusalem, he's speaking before the garrison leaders there at the garrison he's speaking before these governors, Felix and Festus he's speaking before King Agrippa, he's speaking before Julius the Roman centurion, he's speaking before Publius, the leader of Malta. the Lord didn't say what kings they're just kings and rulers, and so there is in Malta. He's in the house of the king. In the house of the ruler, whatever he was, the leader of the island of Malta, Publius the Great. Here, But there he is, getting to share the gospel in the house of Publius. Paul has been undistracted this whole time, and it's humbling. It's really humbling to me. Because as we thought about last week, our New Testament reading, you might remember, was the story of Jesus calming the storm, and the disciples who were so easily distracted. The storm rips up. They think they're going to die, right? Their hair's on fire. They're so easily distracted. And that's me. Right? The wind and the waves kick up. The trouble comes. The the horrible things happen that happen within our lives. The things that cause us great anxiety and worry. And all of a sudden, our eyes quickly are derailed off of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're derailed off our calling. And they go into problem-solving mode. We don't quickly fall on our knees and ask the Lord for help, or we 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 rush to our own aid. We we allow we become rationalists. You know, we've got to big become big problem solvers. We're so distracted, and we get these problems solved. Then, you know, once I get this calmed, I'll be able to get back to ministry. I'll be able to focus on the kingdom again. Once I get, I will take care of this. But right now, I got this pressing problem. Paul gets bit by a snake and he shakes it off and gets back to preaching. He may die. Paul shakes it off and goes. Indeed, though I don't want to turn the historical act simply into a metaphor, I know for myself I must learn to shake it off. The distractions, even the fears. I'm sure Paul had to be wondering whether or not he would die right there, but he did know that the Lord told him, you're going to get to Rome. And he's thinking, if I were in Rome, I might be a little worried. But I'm in Malta. <laughs> I'm pretty confident here. Because the Lord told me, I'm going to get to Rome. Now, brothers and sisters, the problem for us is we know that Rome, if we had to, last couple weeks I've been saying, you're going to make it to Rome. But on the one hand, we can blow it out and say, Rome is, Rome is your eternal glory, I guess you could say. You know you're going to make it there. If we're in Christ, there's no doubts. I don't, I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what trouble assails you, you're gonna make it to Rome. If you're in Christ, you're on the you're on the ship that cannot be sunk. Right? You're 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 in the ark, you're making it to the new the new heavens and new earth. But also this is true, and and, and, and I don't minimize that, I just put that out there. If that is true, and we should have great comfort. That should be the assurance of our salvation. However, you're also going to make it to whatever Rome the Lord has for you. That I can promise you and guarantee you. Now the problem is, we may not have such a clear vision as Paul as to what Rome is. For Paul, it was literally Rome. You and I have probably not received such clarity in the call of the Lord as to what he has for us. But here's what we can say, right? I I don't know. I don't know what the Lord has. I don't know what your Rome is. I don't know what the Lord has for you before you die. But what I do know is this. Whatever it is, you will make it there. Whatever it is, you'll make it to Rome. Sinclair Ferguson used the phrase in speaking of Paul this way, that Paul knew he was immortal until he made it to Rome. I don't care whether it's 40 assassins I don't care whether it's Felix Festus or Agrippa. I don't care whether it's a shipwreck. I don't care whether it's natives in Malta. I don't care whether it's a viper. I am immortal until I get to Rome. Until I get to the place the Lord has for me, there is nothing that can harm me. Now again, we have not had the direct revelation of here's where your Rome is. But if you thought about that for a moment, it would make you bulletproof. It would make you bulletproof. You you would realize I don't know where my Rome is, but I know that Lord has a Rome, the Lord has a Rome for me. He has a purpose for me. And I also know that there is nothing, not shipwreck, not governors, not powers, rulers or authorities, there is nothing that can harm me until I get to Rome. And when I get to Rome, my purpose is accomplished. And when I get to Rome, the Lord takes me home. When I get to Rome, I've run through the ribbon. (laughs) I don't need preservation when I get to Rome, because when I get to Rome, and Paul gets there as we see. We, we heard it read because Mark read through the whole chapter. We get that next week. But when I get to Rome, you know, Paul gets two years there, but he's there. He's, he's, he's gotten to where the Lord said he would go. And, and so he spends two years preaching and teaching. And the Lord brings him home. When you get to Rome, you get the well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing to fear in Rome. When Caesar finally takes Paul out, as tradition tells us he does in around the year 60 A.D., Paul gets the thing he's longed for. Remember, to the Philippians, he says, I'm, I'm not sure what's really better, to 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 die and go to be with the Lord, which is what my heart really desires, or to be here with you. Because I really desire that too. I, I really do desire to minister to you, but man, guys, i got to be honest with you here. If I could just snap my fingers and have my wish, I'd be in glory. But I think it's better that I stay. I think, so as long as the Lord has me here, I'm going to be faithful, knowing that this must be better. This, this is what the Lord has for me. But when he gets to Rome, he gets what his heart desires. He doesn't need protection there. He's been able to preach and get to where the Lord has called him. Psalm 91, which was our Old Testament reading today, you know that passage. Again, it's what Jesus quotes. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He's going he's to shelter us under his wings. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers under his wings. You will take refuge. His truth will be your shield and your buckler. You shall not, or you need not, be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by the day nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You do not have to be afraid of these things. If the Lord is your refuge, you do not have to be afraid of these things. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Christina and I watched uh, the other night uh, the movie Tolkien. Is that the name of the movie, Christina? Is it just called Tolkien? Anyway, it's a little movie on, on J.R.R. Tolkien. It was great. It was great. They don't really dive into his faith, and that's a little bit of a shame. But, but you, get, you do get a picture of the character of the guy. And to think, you know, there he goes down into World War I, and he's at the Battle of the Somme. He's at the Battle of the Somme. The Battle of the Somme, if I remember right, is about a 10-month battle. At the end of that battle, there are 1.4 million casualties. The Battle of the Somme, I was telling Christina this the other day, we, we think that Vietnam was bad. It was bad. Okay, 50,000 American casualties in 10 years at Vietnam. 10 years at Vietnam, 50,000 American casualties. At the Battle of the Somme, 70,000 The first day, the first day, 70,000 casualties. And Tolkien's there. He's there through the battle. He ends up getting trench fever and having to be brought home. C.S. Lewis was there. And I think to myself, my mind immediately went, we could have been kept from having J.R.R. Tolkien. How easily could Tolkien have died in that battle? How easily could C.S. Lewis have died in World War I? My goodness, the death toll is staggering. But the Lord had something different for Tolkien. He had something different for Lewis. And for others, that's what the Lord had for them. That was it. That was the end of their road. I don't know why. But for those who were Christians, and their Rome was the Battle of the Somme... The Lord had brought them where he wanted them to be and he brought them through the finish line and brought them home, but he did not have that for C.S. Lewis. And he didn't have that for Tolkien. There was more race to run for them and until they ran their race for C.S. I can't remember when Tolkien dies, but but C.S. Lewis, I know because it's Emma's birthday. It was the day JFK was assassinated, November 22nd, 1963. Emma was not born in 63, but she's born on that day. 1963 November 22nd C.S. Lewis made it to Rome right See, he, that's it he had run his race and the Lord brought him home until then C.S. Lewis was immortal even at the battle of the Somme, or at least he was I don't know if he was in the battle of the Song, but he was in one Tolkien was immortal in the battle of the Somme. even 10,000 might fall at his right hand a thousand at your side But they will not come near you. With your eyes you will look and see the destruction of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil will befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You'll shake the cobra right off. The viper will bite you in the hand. You shake it off. The young lion and the serpents you shall trample underfoot. Now listen to this because I didn't like the way I read it when I read the Old Testament reading because I just slid right into verse 14. And I should have paused because in verse 14, 15, and 16 now the Lord speaks. And I should have paused and I slid and it can be distracting the way I read it. So now hear the Lord. Because he has set his love upon me. You're getting to hear God speak now about Paul. You're getting to hear God speak about his son. You're getting to hear God speak about those who say the Lord is my refuge. Here's what the Lord says about us. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. If God is for us, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we see that in the life of Jesus, who with utter confidence blows Satan off, resists the devil, and he will flee. Who sets his face like a flint toward Calvary and makes his way to the cross with the utmost confidence. And we see it in the life of the Apostle Paul, who makes his way into this crazy journey, this odyssey as we thought about last week, and now on to Malta. And there, even there, Paul undistracted preaches heals again t- reminds people he's not a god but i have no doubt though we don't hear any of his sermons in malta luke does not record them we have no doubt what paul was doing with his time and what paul was doing whether it's by the campfire out on the beach or whether it's in the house of publius or with publius's dad Or the crowds that are gathering around him. The prisoner. Do not forget that during this time Paul is a prisoner. Paul the prisoner is preaching the gospel. May we be like Paul. May we seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And trust then. That all these other things will be added to us. And that until we make it to Rome. Nothing. Not Barbaroi natives, not vipers, not Roman centurions, not ocean reefs or shipwrecks. No one can stand against us. We're immortal until we make it to Rome and the purpose that the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we have such confidence to act knowing that wherever our Rome is, and certainly we do not know, C.S. Lewis did not know. J.R.R. Tolkien did not know. We do not know. But, Father, in letting us see Paul and his story, we know that until we make it to Rome, nothing can harm us. And that when we make it to Rome, you will seat us in heaven in all glory with you as our purpose here is fulfilled. So, Father, we pray that you would make us strong, and courageous in the midst of whatever trouble there is that we might walk faithfully in the midst of the storm that we might walk faithfully in obedience to you undistracted by the temptations of satan or the evil that swirls around us help us to seek first your kingdom and its righteousness and to trust that all these things our food our drink our health our well-being our safety father all these things will be given us given to us by you we pray this in Christ's name Amen